Hello and welcome to the IFSEC Insider Security in Focus podcast, where we bring you exclusive interviews with leading figures in the physical security industry to get to the heart of the profession. Thanks for joining us today on episode 14 of the Security in Focus podcast with me, James Moore, Managing Editor of IFSEC Insider. I hope you're all well. Regular listeners will spot there's been a short hiatus between the last episode with Professor Martin Gill and this one. I won't lie, I did enjoy a bit of a break during that time. Uh, If you have been to Tuscany, by the way, I would heartily recommend. But I can assure you we haven't been completely switched off. In late July, we published our first podcast mini-series. Now, it features three short episodes with uh, different industry leaders in the fire and security engineering sector, asking what the future looks like for engineers, how we combat the skills gap, and what the industry is doing to raise competency levels. I'd obviously recommend listening when you get a chance, as all three episodes offer a different but insightful perspective on the subject. And do let us know what your thoughts are on these mini-series. Uh, it's something we want to do more of, and I'm keen to sort of deep dive into certain subject areas on them. So if there are any areas you think we should be covering, please do let us know. But we're back to normal with today's episode, which we'll get into shortly. First, though, I'll hand over to Rihanna Sexton for the latest news in the security sector. Thanks, James. Hi, everyone. I'm Rihanna, and this is the latest news from IFSEC Insider. First up, the Home Affairs Committee has released its pre-legislative scrutiny report for the long-awaited Terrorism Protection of Premises Bill, otherwise known as Martin's Law. For those unaware or not based in the UK, the new legislation is aimed at improving safety and security at public venues, and is a direct result of the inquiry into the Manchester Arena terror attack in 2017, where 22 people were killed. In late July, the committee published its report, raising concerns over whether the measures are proportionate to risk, questioning some of the unfinished provisions of the draft bill, and stating the overall purpose of the bill was unclear. The committee also raised grave concerns around the low entry threshold to the UK security industry, arguing that this should be worked on independently of the bill. Campaigners for Martin's Law have noted their disappointment around the report's findings, arguing that much of the evidence given to the committee was misinformed and misguided, and that the requirements on venues would not be disproportionate. Also in the news, the UK Security Minister Tom Tugendhat has announced a £28 million funding package for places of worship to protect from hate crime and terror attacks. The funding, announced on the 21st of June this year, is available through two different schemes and is designed for physical protective security measures for mosques, churches, temples, gurdwaras and other places of worship. These may include CCTV, intruder alarms, secure fencing or other related measures. So, back to today's episode. I've been excited to discuss this topic for some time now. Artificial intelligence. If you were to think of some of the top phrases that have been in the headlines this year, AI would certainly be up there. And many would argue it's just as important as a discussion to have as some of the other trending topics that have made the headlines, such as rising inflation rates and the climate crisis. It's a topic that covers different sectors on a global scale. Without doubt, it's certainly impacting every facet of the tech sector, as well as many industries outside of it, from medical applications through to, you guessed it, the security industry. But what do we really mean by AI? It's been around for some time now, but why is it growing and developing and evolving so much in 2023? 
And crucially for the security industry, how do we grapple with the ethics of AI? Thankfully, we've got a veteran in the technology with us for this episode, Rajat Kotra. Rajat now works at Informa, which for those who weren't aware, is the company IfSec Insider is a part of, uh, as group director for analytics and AI. But he's been in the field since 2009, when he was employed by a leading company in this sector, IBM. Now, we go into a bit more detail on AI in the security sector and the ethics around AI use in the second half of the interview. But I think first it's worth setting the context to the discussion. In the first half, Rajat explains the background to AI and its evolution in 2023 compared to, say, 10 years ago. He starts, though, by introducing himself and his background in the industry. I have been in the field of AI seriously since about 2009, but my background is about more than three decades of entrepreneurship experience combined with you know senior leadership experience in the world's two biggest companies. So I always you know say that half of my career has been with the world's two biggest corporations, namely IBM, uh, International Business Machines, and uh, GE, General Electric. And the balance of my career has been in relatively smaller companies, which include two of my own startups. So, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have an eclectic mix of very big company experience combined with very small practical startup experience where you are the brand. So, you know, it's a wide variety and things in between. And that has given me a lot of good learnings, which I call stripes, but more importantly, a lot of, you know, things to watch out for, which I sometimes call scars. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, I'm like a battle-tested general who's seen quite a few ups and downs from a professional journey perspective. And I've seen a lot of technology slash methodologies get invented, get practiced, and also get junked over these three decades plus. I come to believe uh, over my experience, you know, the real proof of any technology is in the actual implementation and institutionalization of it. And it's very easy to create hype about everything new. But I can tell you that if 10 things come out new, which are hyped, maybe only two or three are able to sustain themselves over a period of time. Because business is generally a very tough environment, right? It's very excitable, but you know it's not easily implementable and definitely not easily institutionalized so that you know it becomes the DNA or the culture of business. Yeah, absolutely. You've almost been, uh, been on the front line and also a commander, I suppose, um, putting it into that kind of battleground perspective um, analogy, I suppose. And, you know, of those things that you, you've seen come and go, where does AI fit into that? Do you, do you feel like it's it's one of those things that will stay? It's It certainly sounds like it, but there is, as you say, as you say, there is a lot of hype over that word. So, yes. So if I have to answer in one line, I would say that AI is one of those things which could be among the three out of 10, which will stay, you know, but the owners of you know, making that happen lies on the practitioners and the business community. What I mean by that is definitely AI 
started, you know, with a lot of hype. And it's still overhyped, right? But it has been around in business since about 2009-10. You know, uh, so it's not something new, right? Quite a few people still think that AI is like a four, five year old phenomena. Actually, it is not, right? Before 2009, I would say, you know, we would think AI more as an academic topic. You know, if I had to learn about AI before 2009, practically I would be going to universities and looking at journals and trying to see what AI generally means. And interestingly, a lot of discussion around then was around artificial general intelligence called AGI. When business really started experimenting or understanding, I would say first understanding what AI can mean from a business perspective, you know, this was around the period 2010 when you started seeing things like Siri, you know, early news about Amazon experimenting with something. But let me tell you, one of the pioneers of implementing AI from a business perspective was IBM. And, you know, not many people know this, but IBM show in the US, it was called the Jeopardy quiz show. And IBM built the first kind of working AI model called Watson. Now, it's interesting why they called it Watson when you can read up Google and find out that. But, you know, this was the result of about 25 years of IBM research. And the way they really brought it into the open was to have IBM Watson machine, which was actually a computer, but powered by AI algorithms and technology, was put to test against two of the biggest and most frequent winners of the Jeopardy show. So just to give you some US context, you know, Jeopardy is a show which used to run, I think, every year for 30 odd years. And the interesting piece is that in, in that show, you are given clues and you have to guess the question. So for the first time, IBM Watson pitted itself as a machine against the two most prolific winners of that particular show. And this was done live on TV. <laughs> and guess what? IBM Watson beat the two most you know, well-recognized geniuses uh, of that time. And these wow. were not theoretical geniuses. You know, these were practical geniuses because they were winning the show year after year. So when that happened is when the world in business first time stood up and took notice that a machine can beat a human on business and general knowledge. You know, before that, you remember, if you remember, IBM had the chess machine, you know, which in, in early 2000s, which was automated, not was not called AI then. It was called a rule-based program and it was driven by heuristics when that beat Gary Kasparov. Right. So this was almost the, you know, next decades, you know, big uh, thing from IBM. And that's when the business really started getting some confidence that artificial intelligence is about to come out of the closet and really try to do something tangible in business. And this was also happening at the same time when Apple was launching Siri and the whole world of virtual assistants was coming out in the open. And if you think about it, that was the first practical experience, which, which is now being called virtual assistance, or in technical terms, we call it conversational AI. You know, was the first 
business use case of AI, you know, for different types of industries. I remember IBM actually prioritized three industries to go after, and I was lucky enough to represent or lead one of them globally for them from an initiative perspective. Those three industries where they said AI would be first applied, one was medical. So right after Watson's uh, success, they launched a big program on cancer research, working with hospitals and trying to find uh, assistance for doctors and medical practitioners. The second business was area was financial advice. So there was another initiative drawn out to work with uh, banking and financial services industries to see if you can assist customers and business people on accumulating and assimilating vast knowledge and using a machine to come up with the answers much, much faster than any human being. And the third application area is which, which, which I was spearheading in IBM was technical support, you know, for things like your laptops, your printers, you know, customer service support. That's when AI really started getting noticed in business. After 2012 or 13, this really exploded, right? Once you're able to prove that, you know, as long as you train the machine to an extent where it can understand the nuances of conversation and can also understand business context, then you can effectively use machines to do what humans would do under defined circumstances. I guess that, that leads me on to my next question, which is what is, the, what is the real key difference between AI in, say, 2013, when it was beginning to do that and be used in a business context, to AI in 2023? You know, how much has it evolved? And what is, I guess, what, yeah, what is that key differentiator? Well, you know, as you can imagine, you know, this is an ever-growing technology field. So in the last 10 years, the period, as you state, from 2013 to 2023, there has been massive expansion of use cases. So what I gave example of three use cases, now I would say AI is being experimented in maybe 300 different use cases or more. So that's the first kind of you know proliferation of areas where AI could be made applicable. So like we discussed earlier, it could be transcription, it could be automating manual activities, when somebody applies for a loan, right, in a banking scenario, it could be, you know, assisting doctors when they are trying to understand the patient's symptoms. So the use cases have, you know, kind of almost exploded. That is one. Two is just the field of AI has started experimenting a lot with different kinds of machine learning. So the one thing to understand, which I always try to explain whenever I get an opportunity, is people always confuse between AI and machine learning. Mm -hmm. It's a highly controversial topic, right? But, you know, I am all for simplifying things in business as much as possible so that everybody can understand. And that is why I have been a big proponent of democratizing AI. So, you know, when we say machine learning and AI, the easiest way to understand is that you know, machine learning is the technical aspect of how machines learn. While the moment you say AI, AI has to talk about a customer solution or a solution which a user can use. 
So multiple machine learning techniques can work together to build an AI solution. They are used interchangeably at times, but the key to understand is that machine learning is the brain or the activity, while AI is the whole form. So when you need somebody to help you, you don't just need the brain. You need the whole body, right, along with the brain. So the machine learning is the technique which actually powers AI. So what has happened in the last 10 years is that when we were working, you know, 12, 13 years back on conversational AI, it was not even called that then, but it was called virtual assistants. You know, that was focused on pretty much one technique, which is called supervised learning. But then over the years, other techniques have, they were always there in the books. So they were always part of theory, but other techniques have started, you know, becoming more and more kind of usable. So that's the other development in the last 10 years. So now supervised learning still remains one of the biggest parts of machine learning which a business can use. But there are other techniques like unsupervised learning and reinforcement learning from a machine learning world, which have also started gaining you know, acceptance in business. The third thing which has really happened in the last 10 years and which is still kind of uh, continuing to evolve is the deployment of AI. And this is an important piece to understand because of like anything which has come from academics, right? it takes time for any new science to become commonplace activity you know, in life. And AI is going through that process as we speak. So there are lots of experiments which have been done on AI, but there are not similar amount of deployments for a period of time which can be trusted upon. So that's the third thing which has really happened in these 10 years is that a lot of AI experiments have moved and have started moving towards acceptable deployment levels. The fourth item on AI growth has really been, you know, identifying that it's an ecosystem, right? There was this belief uh, in the early parts of, in the early, you know, stages of AI development is that it's a technical only field. So there was this belief by some people that it's a bunch of programmers and computer scientists and technology leaders who really own AI. And that has fundamentally changed because, like I said, they can at best own machine learning. But, you know, for somebody to really own and champion and evangelize AI, the business has to take ownership. So it's like saying that, you know, you will be able to invest continuously in only that aspect of your business which a customer is willing to pay for right yeah end of the day it's this you know business is has to pass the commercial test and the test of acceptability from a customer yeah. so that is the other big change which has happened is that ai has you know started moving from being a technical field only completely kind of initially considered too complicated to be you know discussed only in technical forums it has now really started to come of age to become a language which business needs to understand first because you can have the best technique in the world which works on paper, but unless it really brings tangible value to a customer from an experience perspective or revenue for a company perspective, it really will not pass the test of acceptance. 
So that's the fourth big change which has happened is that as AI is coming of age, it is getting from experimentation to deployment. And it is also coming out of its you know, technology clutches to the real business ownership. And the last thing I would say, which has happened in the last 10 years and which needs to happen more and more is that as we are starting to really get into deployment, we are starting to question for the right reasons, the fairness and the transparency around AI acceptance. And that is going to be the next big test. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's a leading point. I'm leading you to your next question then. But, you know, that is going to be the next big test of you know, if AI has to become commonplace, which I think it has potential, because clearly as part of evolution, right, there were many things which humans were doing 20, 30 years back, which they are not doing anymore. The biggest example I give is using calculators. When we were studying, we were definitely allowed to use calculators. And when when one generation above us was studying, they were not allowed to use calculators. We started using calculators. We started using things like typing tutor. You guys remember that. I still do, right? Mm -hmm. But some of those things are not heard of anymore. Our children don't know what a calculator is. Our children don't know what a typing tutor is. In fact, you know, my, I give this example that, you know, my moment of reckoning personally for me was one of those was when in 2013, my young daughter walked up to me and said that, why do you still type for something when you want to search something on Google? And I said, what does that mean? She said, I never do it. I just ask Google. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. As AI becomes more and more commonplace and it starts replacing something which we have been very used to, the question will come is that can we trust AI as much as we trust anything else? Hello, listeners. I just wanted to point you in the direction of our latest trend report. Anyone interested in the world of physical access control will no doubt find the report fascinating. We explore key technology trends such as mobile access, as well as covering security professionals' perspectives on cybersecurity regulations, sustainability, and cloud-based access control. Just head to IFSEC Insider and click the download section in the navigation bar, or follow the link in the episode description to read today. Let's get back to the interview with Rajat Salwi. Uh, in the second part, we delve into the world of ethical AI, something that is increasingly under scrutiny when using AI-based technology, such as facial recognition and AMPR systems in the security world. The security industry is, is really talking quite a lot about AI at the moment. It's talking about lots of different sort of use cases, probably the most common being facial recognition, ANPR, you know, automatic number play recognition, and advanced sort of search, critical search capabilities where you've got 15 hours worth of footage and you need to find someone in a yellow in a yellow hat and you can type in yellow hat and it will it will find it. The point about fairness though is one that has been brought up quite a lot in the in the security industry with facial recognition in particular and ethics. How you know ethical AI, I suppose, what what do we mean by this? And I guess what are the biggest challenges? And if if you can put it into a sort of facial recognition context and then, then fantastic but but if not just just generally what can you, you know could you talk around that so it definitely is like i said you know a very topical question 
and it will get even more and more important for the right reasons as we go along getting AI from you know, academic to mainstream. And what I always say whenever somebody asks me an AI question on ethics is I preface it by saying whatever I'm going to talk next, I am putting a boundary around that and saying I'm talking about narrow AI. I am not talking about artificial general intelligence, right? I would like to you know, focus the question of ethics on narrow AI, you know, uh, and bounded around that, which means, you know, how is AI used in business? And in that paradigm, the question of ethics really around AI is centered around one basic question. Can I trust a machine almost as much as I trust a fellow human being? Right, so if I am about to launch an AI solution and if I get 10 random people in the room, can I get at least eight or nine of them to agree that this is one, the right thing to do from a decision perspective, and two, the steps which are being taken to arrive at that decision, right? You have a broad understanding of that. And three is that whatever you are doing in this, if somebody really wants to know how this was done, you are able to explain some of that. And the fourth thing I would add in that is, if somebody you know, really feels that their data, which has gone into uh, this whole process, is not being used properly, you are able to show that that is not the case. And what I mean by that is, you know, I strongly believe in the doctrine that data belongs to the creator. Now, the challenge in that a little bit is that data is an evolving field. A lot of us ourselves don't know, you know, what uh, data can be made use of. So it's an ever growing area. So it's not that you will always know that you can only use data for A, B and C things and there will not be a D or E thing ever. That's never going to be true. But the point I'm trying to make is that there has to be transparency around that. If it is your data, you definitely know where is it being used and how. So if you can you know, generate enough confidence about these four things, I would say that would be the question to answer whether AI is ethical or not, right? You know, I don't want to really get into too much detail about the discussion about you know, ethics and morality, you know, from a machine perspective, because I just want to say that as long as it is comparable to a human, right? Broadly speaking, we would be in the right, you know, frame there. Yeah, an argument that's often used, I suppose, in security is, is that it, it supports security professionals do their jobs in the sense of there should always be a human at the end of that decision making process. But if you can use an AI or facial recognition system to spot people on a watch list from a crowd of a thousand people, rather than having 10 people look at different cameras and potentially missing something, I suppose, you know, as long as the AI isn't picking that out and there is no question being asked around whether that is the right person, whether that is the right, you know, whether there is any real reason for to pick that up, that's the important part. And would you agree with that? And that the human should always still be part of this process? Yes, yeah, so I've, I am actually, you know, in full agreement of that philosophy uh, for the last, as long as I have been in AI, 
In fact, mm. I have been one of the proponents of saying that, you know, when you talk about AI in business and you don't talk about AI in the academic context, just, you know, using the acronym of AI as artificial intelligence probably creates more confusion and fear than otherwise. So I have been a proponent of actually in business calling AI more as augmented intelligence and not artificial intelligence because frankly when it comes to business there should be nothing much artificial about AI right it has to be an augmented intelligence paradigm where exactly to your point what we are saying is that it's not that we are out to replace every human intervention in an AI solution the objective of narrow AI is to augment human intelligence with machine intelligence for the areas where it is highly applicable and leave the final decision to the human where the risk of making that decision you know weighs on something which we are not comfortable for a machine to decide on so just by removing the word artificial from ai and replacing it with augmented in my assessment will drive a lot of confidence and uh, trust around the fact that you know this is not something which is like not real <laughs> right and there is a human in the loop who's you know at least watching over if not taking every decision but is watching over how the decisions are made and there is explainability around any decision which needs to be explained to an extent possible now i don't want to complicate the discussion uh, but you know of course a lot of artificial intelligence uh, techniques and that's why i whenever i'm using this uh, having such a discussion i start calling this more machine learning than ai till the time comes when everybody agrees with me that let's just call ai as augmented intelligence and not artificial intelligence i try to continue using machine learning more in this context than ai to make my point and the point is that you know whenever you are using machine learning as you get more and more kind of deep into the subject you start getting the subject of neural networks and you know the easiest way to understand neural networks in fact 15 years back when we used to have the discussion about neural networks you know even in business from an academic standpoint we would say that think of how your brain works right that's exactly what a neural network is but i don't think i will be alive and maybe you know it will take many many more years and maybe it will never happen when a human mind is able to completely explain how a human mind works so the point i'm trying to just slightly dip into but i don't want to get too much detail into it in the interest of time but it's as you can imagine is one of my favorite topics <laughs> is that the moment you get into neural networks right the layers which are hidden get very difficult to explain so a simple way to understand this is you can have the same setting or scenery in front of you know 10 people and 10 different people may have 10 different interpretations of that same scene or scenery so can you really explain how each human mind works probably you cannot right similarly for in the context of bringing it back to the context of augmented intelligence or ai 
is it 100% possible to explain everything? Probably it is not. But as long as you can reasonably explain how decisions are made and in areas where you think you cannot explain completely, you make sure that there's a human in the loop who finally votes on the decision to be made or not. Taking some of these steps would be getting us closer to more acceptability of AI than we have today. Really, really interesting. Yeah, I think it's getting to a level where it is very difficult to explain, but if you can provide a level of human interaction, you can't, you, you know, you're not, you, you can prove that that is the case, then I guess there's no reason to be scared of it. It's, it's just about accepting it and, and trying and understanding it as best we can. I think that I think what scares so many people is that AI has been is, is such a vague term in many ways. Um, people don't really know what it means. And all they hear is it's going to either take my job or it's going it, to it's it's you know, it's taking humans out of the decision making process. And do we want machines thinking for us? Well, that's that's not hope. Well, hopefully that's not what 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 a lot of it means and and where it goes but um as you say it's it's got to it's got to be a level of reasonable explanation if not humans humans need to be in the loop um and that's 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 very applicable to how it's being used in security i think one final question if i may is very quick which is what's next for ai do you think so i think we'll definitely see a more serious discussion and participation from different parts of uh the business ecosystem on deployment of AI, and which is a good sign because you know uh, we have we are definitely seeing in the last four or five years that more and more business community and the ecosystem is getting an understanding that this can work. Right, so I would say it's really started coming out of the closet and coming into mainstream adoption. What is next is to set up good examples of this adoption. And like everything in technology or everything in life, there is a good side and there's always a not so good side, right? I think it's the ownership of the business to ensure that the good side is more visible with right examples, right? And the not so good side is questioned and challenged continuously and frequently to set up bad examples. That is what is next in my view in AI from an adoption standpoint. The other next big thing is more focus and discussion around the transparency and removal of bias and coming of fairness in AI implementations. The third thing which is next on AI, you know, which I am very passionate about is to make it a domain in business and coming and not a domain in technology. So I strongly believe that the value of AI will only be realized if AI is owned by the business and not by technology. So what we are seeing more and more is that the data science or the machine learning part of AI, you know, is becoming democratized mm -hmm. and over time may actually become automated. <laughs> So that's the other benefit. You know, if you were if you were doing the discussion with me six or seven years back, I used to also take this analogy that, you know, if you are getting a bit confused and you want to be, just replace the word AI for IA for the time being. And think of AI as the way you automate your routine activities. Right. But that was the evolution then. Now we have moved much ahead of that. But as long as 
you know the businesses start taking ownership i think that is next coming up in ai we've already seen that move significantly happening in the last 4 5 years the last thing i would say is you know what i see really next in ai is uh, this hype of overvaluation of ai you know getting into you know i would say a stability mode you know we have lots of people who act as if they know ai you know are also able to you know make people think this is ai but when you peel the covers you find that actually it may not be so what's next of ai is i would say if i summarize my last point which i think is a bit difficult to summarize is an ai coming of age would really mean that it becomes more real than surreal Welcome back listeners. Uh, a big thanks to Rajat Kotra there for joining us and sharing his expertise and insight into the world of AI. It's a fascinating topic. I think everybody's interested in it at the moment no matter what area you're from. And as I said at the beginning, it will touch upon if it isn't already all aspects of business and society in the years to come. It's worth noting of course that while the opportunities are abundant, There have been many concerns raised around its seemingly rapid development, particularly in 2023. Back in April, not long after OpenAI released its ChatGPT AI language model, tech leaders such as Elon Musk and Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak uh, even called for a pause on the development of advanced AI systems. And let's face it, Musk isn't exactly known for his caution in the technology sector. The debate is only set to continue as well, uh, but it appears that the metaphorical cat is very much out of the bag. I'm not going to lie, I've used ChatGPT several times or myself since it's been out. It's definitely been useful, but as Rajit explained, its output definitely needs to be checked and verified and edited by a human at all times. Which is good news for me being an editor. I think that's where the real debate lies though for the security world. We're already seeing AI be used across several applications, facial recognition being the one that picks up the most exposure, of course, uh, but but also in AMPR in the development of smart cities and increasingly for additional business operational purposes, but via security technology such as video surveillance cameras. I'm sure many of you might already be using it in your own systems or if you're an installer engineer, you might have installed or, or integrated AI software onto security cameras. If it is going to be used though, and especially in public spaces, it needs to be transparent and proportional. Points that England's last two surveillance camera commissioners have made regularly. But let's see what's next, shall we? Uh, on this whole subject, I'd recommend keeping an eye out on If Second Cider. We'll be publishing more articles and case studies where available, while we'll also be doing a bit of a deep dive into AI's use in CCTV systems in our next video surveillance report. due out this autumn. As always, there's several links to useful articles that we've already published in the episode description. But for now, that's all from this episode of the Security in Focus podcast. This has been a podcast from If Second Cider, and don't forget to follow us on all the social media platforms you're on. We're even on Threads now. And get yourself on our onto our weekly security newsletters to keep up with the latest in the industry. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Bye.